the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 324 Premium for April 7th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you ask the questions, you send in your tips, we share answers, we share everything that we know about the Mac and Apple and try and help you do the same from Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, well, I don't, I don't share everything. Well, about that. We uh, know about the Mac. I, I did, oh, I did well, in that case. That. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, John F. Braun. There he is. Uh, all right. So uh, <laughs> for, first and foremost, two things. Number one, uh, thank you for being a premium subscriber to Mac Geek Cab. We of course appreciate that. Uh, it's a it's a nice little community we have here, and uh, and we really appreciate everybody uh, everybody kind of doing their thing. Um, also, a shout out to Michael Johnston. Yes, that Michael Johnston, the one that uh, converts all our shows to AAC. Today's his birthday, so uh, so if you haven't already, go on Twitter and wish him a happy birthday, Michael Johnston. Wow. Yeah, that's right. He says he's fifty five years old now, which I believe is a lie, given that. Wow. The last time I saw him, he was w- far more than 10 years younger than me. So I remember when he was a wee lad. I think he, he went to his uh, remember last year? first Mac world. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a couple of years ago. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, I think, yeah, I think he hooked up with the uh, podcast and uh, or he hooked mm-hmm. up with us. And yeah, we, yeah. we uh, I think we ran into him at Mac world. That's right. And then uh, and then he did. The, he, he, does, he does the podcast thing. Amazing. He's got everybody that. We, we have communicators podcast. He yeah, does a great job with it. One. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then while we're in the uh, announcements zone here, anyone in or around the Princeton, New Jersey area, I will be there on Tuesday, the 12th. So that's this coming Tuesday speaking about backups. So uh, we'll do the PMUG meeting and then they, they always go out for pizza afterwards. So if you're uh, if you come and visit and spend plan to spend some time afterwards and come out and hang out with us. It's uh, backups. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that, you know, recently I think they had a, a national uh, or, or the, the global world backup, backup day. day. That's right. Yeah. It started as kind of a theme on a, on a website and it, it grew. It's, it's a good theme though. Right. I mean, as far as these like meme of the day things go, backing up is a good thing. Um, so we'll talk, you know, I, I, um, and we'll take some of, some of what I'm doing for the, uh, for this backup presentation and spill it into the show. I'm uh, not this episode, but certainly a future one. I've, I've been doing a lot of testing with online backup services, like, you know, uh-huh. Mosey and Carbonite and Backblaze and Backjack. And, uh, and yeah, so. I, I did. I did Carbonite for a while. Optimum online actually offered a free two gig version. Mm. Yeah. And then I stopped using it because okay. they said, Oh, guess what? It's not free anymore. Hmm. Well, that, yeah, that, that would go ahead. And it was, it. it was, it was good. Sure. You know, it, it had a, I think a pref pain and, and it just kind of operated in the background and yeah. never really got in my way. And, uh, that's you could what, pull that's, down whatever you want. That's what it's supposed to do. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm taking a look at those in a, in a general sense, um, off kind of right out of the gate. I feel like Backblaze and Mosey are the ones oh. that, that get the Mac experience the most. Carbonite's actually not bad. The one that I would not recommend is is 
uh, backjack. Um, nice folks, but uh, the product, it works, but it's really kind of clunky and kludgy. But uh, so Carbonite, I wasn't crazy about, but maybe it was a problem with Opt Online, but but their uh, prep pane was 32 bit. Oh. And I kept pestering them and they never gave me a set. And I know, uh, as far as case, I know, it's, that's not the case now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I installed they, it this they were, okay. They, they were, they were distributing an older version. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I don't oh, know about that backups. could be, that's right. Yeah. That could, that could certainly be. So, so well, anyway, I wrote to Carbonite and they yeah. said, well, deal with the people that opt online. It's not our uh, problem. Got it. <laughs> All right. But enough about backups. Yeah. At least enough for now. Although, you know, it is a good idea to back up. And it's a good idea to have more than one path of backup just in case one fails. And I will say this, if any, any backup that is not verified and time machine, you fall into this category is not a real backup. So, and, and I guess that means neither, neither are any of these online solutions. Unless they're doing verification, which is something I, I haven't yet looked oh. into. Yeah, it's a, it could be. It's a good, it's a good point. Yep. Yeah, the, the the one I remember that was long ago. I don't even know if they still make it anymore. Do they? Do they still make retrospect? Uh huh. Yeah. But I know they had an option where yeah, it would do the backup and then it would rip through the backup and compare it against everything on the source drive and make sure they matched. And yeah, almost always did. But yeah, I guess it's a good way to make sure your communication channel or uh, right, right, or your just, disk is uh, not faulty. Just because you sent it there doesn't mean it got recorded there. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So we uh, we have uh, we have quite a few things to go through here, and we will start with Jeff. Jeff writes, "I have a 2008 Mac Pro with two ATI Radeon HD 2600 XT video cards and three monitors running on the latest version of Snow Leopard. Whenever I come back to my computer after a while, I find that all of my apps spread out on all my monitors have been gathered to the first monitor. I." Pretty much always had this problem as far as I remember. When I did a fresh install earlier this year onto a hybrid drive, the problem persisted. I have played with the power settings and basically telling it to never sleep, never turn anything off, or showing a screensaver, yet again the problem persists. This never happens while I'm actively using my Mac. Any troubleshooting pointers would be appreciated if this is not a bug or feature of OS X. So it, it, I, I've seen this symptom before, but... Uh, have gotten to it with different causes. So essentially what he's describing is, you know, he has multiple monitors on his Mac. And and if you don't know this, uh, it's actually pretty cool. You can set up, uh, and every Mac has a different way of plugging in other monitors, but you can set up your Mac with more than one screen connected at a time. And then when you go into the displays setting in system preferences, you can either have them show the same thing, which is called mirrored mode, or you can have them be one kind of long stretched out desktop and you can drag windows between them. It's pretty cool. So uh, what he's describing is where he has dragged windows out to all of his various desktops. And then at some point in time, for some reason, they've all come back to the one main screen. So I have seen this, John, when I take my laptop and disconnect it from my main monitor. Or if my main monitor loses power, my external monitor loses power, that will cause all of the open windows to immediately, you know, kind of coalesce, if you will, on the on the main screen. So if assuming that uh, it's a it's the same function of the OS that's doing that for him, I would have to say that there's something about the screens that when they are idle is causing them to appear to go offline to the computer. 
any uh, and 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 I and I don't really have an answer. Do you have any thoughts on on why that might be happening, John? You know, it almost sounds like what's happening. So there's also in the display control panel a gather windows button, and it almost sounds like that is being mysteriously pressed. So I'm going to offer a suggestion. I think it's a long shot, but I like going for. Yeah, the 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 purpose of that is I think if. If you lose track if, of if, a if some of your stuff is on uh, a window that's now or a screen that's now in hyperspace, uh, that this should gather all the windows. Because right. I think some apps will remember, oh, my window was on, you know, screen two of this big, huge virtual desktop. And uh, <laughs> you right. know, if, if you disconnect that screen, it's still going to be there. Of course, there's no way to get to it. So gather windows is the way to do it. The only thing I could think, Dave. And this is weird because this prep file is in a weird place or, or a different place than you would normally expect. So what I would do is go to the home directory, library, preferences, by host. Yeah. And in there, there should be a com.apple.preference.displays and then a bunch of gobbledygook after that. Okay. May want to whack that. Uh, yeah. It couldn't, it couldn't hurt. Um uh, I could also suggest I, I did find a couple of programs that claim to be able to uh, that sound like they may be able to restore the way things were. Uh, okay. One from Irradiated Software is called Size Up, and then another one what? from uh, and they mentioned one feature that they can restore a screen layout. So okay, want to look at that. Okay. And then another one that, that I found, uh, I hadn't tried either, either of these, okay. uh, but I, I think these, these both have trials you can find out. And then another one is called Optimal Layout from mostadvantageous.com. Okay. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's behaving just as if the, that screen went away. And that's normally, as far as I've seen, what the OS does is everybody gets pushed back onto the main screen. Yeah. 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 I was going to mention size up. I didn't realize that it had the ability to kind of restore a layout. I use size up is something that I mentioned in a cool stuff found years ago and have been using ever since where you can tell uh, you can pre-configure it to automatically send windows to, you know, half the screen or, or size them a certain way. So for me, for example, I like to have Safari on one uh, side of my monitor and at a certain width and as new windows open mm -hmm. th things can get a little wonky with it and so i can just use this one keystroke to blast it over but uh, that's cool so size up might be a good workaround if he can't uh it, you know i would look and see and i know he said he went in to the uh and and turned off all the sleeping and everything uh, you know display sleep in the energy saver system preferences pane would I mean, even that shouldn't cause this, but if anything is, that would be it. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be curious what the, what the console says at, at the time when all of this happens, it, it should say something. Uh, that's what I would think, but yeah. So size up that might do it for him. Huh? Good. Yeah, I guess the other thing is, well, there, uh, and I think this comes up in another question, but there's all those DS store files that remember, well, that, I don't, I don't think that's window position. I think that's, I don't think so. No, yeah. I think that's, that's grouping of things within a folder. Mm -hmm. So no, never mind. All right. So I think that's all we got to say about that one. That's, that's all we got to say. All right. Uh, let's go to Scott. Scott writes, I have three Macs that have a wireless keyboard and mouse. I have one Mac with a wired keyboard and mouse, which I'll be selling soon. 
There have been a few times when I've had to hold down a button on the mouse or a key combo on the keyboard when starting the Mac. In these cases, I always pull the keyboard or mouse off the old Mac and plug it into the new one. Should I be able to use the wireless device the same way to alter the startup of the other Mac? One time I tried it with the wireless mouse holding the button down during startup to eject the DVD. It didn't work. So I grabbed the wired mouse and it worked fine. Is there some sort of setting to tell the startup routine to check wireless devices? And Scott's got another question, but let's let's tackle this one first, John. You know, now I'm I'm getting conflicting information on this, Dave. Yep, I'm, I'm very confused here. I, I have seen it work sometimes and, and I. I don't have uh, logged evidence on this, but if I had to trust my memory, which I will, it's almost or always worked when those external devices were Apple Bluetooth devices. So the Apple wireless keyboard, the Apple, um, the, 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 whatchamacallit, the mouse, the, the magic mouse that we love. Uh, those have, those always seem to work for me. So, um, but I don't know about third party stuff. That's where I can't uh, perhaps get a little strange. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the conflicting information that I found. Here. Okay. So one is an Apple support article, yep. HT3887. And there is a question here. After my computer starts up or wakes from sleep, when will the wireless device be available, active? And they say here, on startup, wireless devices are usually available after the computer completes the startup process. So, huh. Huh? <laughs> yeah, what's that mean? <laughs> Um, now the other thing I saw, but then I found another article and it was actually somebody posed a question in one of the Apple forums and said, can I use the key? Can I hold down keys on a wireless keyboard and will they be recognized? And an answer was posted saying yes. Right. Uh, the only thing I've noticed is that a lot of these devices, what, what you want to make sure of is that they will, or at least the magic mouse, I have the magic mouse is that they'll typically go into a sleep mode if you don't touch them for a while. So Give it a little time uh, to wake up and then pair because they're, they're, I, I think they're almost always Bluetooth. So, right. so you got to give them a little moment to both wake up and then pair with the computer before you can expect anything to happen. So, okay. so that's the advice that, that I'd offer on that. Because I have had the Magic Mouse go to sleep on me. Right. Because they, they want to conserve the batteries and I assume the keyboard does the same thing. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, all right. So Scott's second question, he says, has to do with iTunes and podcasts. He says, I'm moving this summer with the U.S. State Department. I, it will be I will be without my main iTunes computer for a few months. I'll be traveling with my MacBook Pro. I plan on purchasing a large portable external drive to copy all my iTunes content so I can update my iDevices and keep downloading podcasts. Do you know what files I should copy from my iMac to my MacBook Pro in order to make the downloading of podcasts automatic so I don't have to resubscribe? Also, what will I need to do when I get my iMac back to reestablish that as my main iTunes machine again? So uh, th this gets interesting. I think the only way to have a chance at doing this would be to blow away the entire music library. I don't think there is a separate way of doing podcast subscriptions inside iTunes. Do you, John, any, any thoughts on that? Cause I, I don't think, I don't think there's, I think the only way to do this would be to replace the contents of the music folder on the new Mac or the Mac. That's going to be the new one with the data from the old one. And that, yes. that would, I think that would, I 
think that would do it. Uh, that, as far as I know, yeah, the, the iTunes migration it involves copying the iTunes folder. That's right. That's right. And if you've got your music files in there, then it comes along with it. If you don't and they're pointed somewhere else, my guess is that pointer would stay in place. But if it doesn't go to uh, in iTunes, go to preferences advanced and set the iTunes media folder to whatever that location is. But um, but I think that'll come along with it. Uh, if you do the iTunes folder, I think that's one of those times when the preferences are actually stored in the data folder. Yeah. And as, as we discussed, depending on the nature of what you have in there, you may want to consider deauthorizing one of the machines if you're not going to use it for a while. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you will, cause you may reach your authorization limit. If you, uh, if you bring it over to another machine, I, I think it's usually five machines per user is the, uh, is the limit that Apple puts in place. Right. What John's talking about is if you're, uh, when you play purchased, uh, locked content. So anything that was DRM'd uh, from iTunes, which includes a lot of old iTunes songs and some new ones, I guess uh, it will be locked and you have to unlock each computer and give it permission to play it. And uh, as John says, you, you have a maximum of five for your account. And if you try to go over five, it won't let you, you'll have to just reset all of them and then, uh, and then bring them back. So. Yeah. So that's in the, uh, the store menu and it's authorize this computer and deauthorize this computer. So, Cool. Uh, all right. Moving on to Karsten, which is, uh, I think, a quick question. But uh, I got to find where the question is here. Uh, okay. So uh, Karsten writes, I decided to get a new MacBook Pro and went all out. Uh, I read a blog post at betanews.com about uh, CTO, which is custom customized to order i believe build so the some some people call them bto build to order that's when you choose specific options instead of just taking one of the stock machines from apple.com slash store uh about uh so he read a blog post at beta news about cto builds being available but not out in the store so i took a stroll down to my local apple store but no they did not have one with my specs my thought is that if something ever happens to my MacBook Pro with a CTO build, am I in trouble since a replacement would take some time? And he asks, what are your thoughts on a custom spec MacBook Pro or custom builds in general? So uh, my thought on this, John, is uh, two things. One, almost every computer I bought from Apple has been a custom spec uh, for one reason mm -hmm. or another. You know, you might want to change Likewise. RAM or hard drive or whatever, or, or bump up the CPU, CPU. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I always want to get the fastest. So it's always good. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but the thing, and I've always, you know, I've sent many of those machines in for Apple care for one reason or another. Very rarely is your repair going to result in you needing to have your computer replaced uh, unless it's something wrong with it right out of the gate. And and it's so obvious that this best solution would be just to swap the thing out. But other than that, there, there's I've never had a computer be replaced other other than, you know, some very strange circumstances. But uh, but in a general sense, no, it's most repairs are just that repairs where they'll swap out parts inside. And at that point, of course, it doesn't matter what parts you ordered it with because they're just going to replace it with an equal. So if a new motherboard needs to go in, well, they'll replace it with a motherboard that has a processor the same speed as the one that uh, that you that you had previously. 
regardless of what the custom or the stock build would have been at the time. So that's never, it's never been a problem for me. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't worry about that in terms of repairs at all. The only thing I would worry about. Yep. So, so he does say in his mail that he has a Ram upgrade kit on the way. The only thing that I could possibly imagine, they actually warned me about this when I sent my machine in Dave. Yep. And, uh, playing on the side of caution, so I actually put the original drive that the machine came with because what they said to me, uh, first it was kind of cool because the guy actually called me back. You can schedule them to call you back on the yeah. phone. Yeah, it works really well. And it was cool. Like five, yeah. and, and I gave him like a really short time window, like five minutes. Yep. You know, it's maybe quarter to nine and, and uh, I did it at age 55 and they called me at like 902. It was like awesome. Yep. And I basically told him and he's like, well, the only thing is if there's any non Apple parts in there, we may replace it. And I'm like, okay. So, of course, I had the 500 gig drive that was the same class as the 250 that it came with, but I put the 250 back in there. Got it. I did leave the RAM in here, so none of the RAM was Apple RAM, and it was beyond the uh, official 4 gig limit. Oh, yeah. And I was concerned that they would say, yep, that's not an official configuration. We're going to put four gigs of RAM back in here. Right, right. Oh, good. That's good. Okay. so, So even though they threatened to replace non-apple part as long as it's a listed apple component then well, sure, sure you're totally cool right yeah as would and and anything on the custom to order on the cto builds would be uh official apple right. i mean i realize you're talking about him potentially replacing ram with third-party ram but but as far as the cto stuff yeah oh no, yeah that's totally totally support and even the ram i i think the ram that i ordered yeah unless the, if there's a was problem actually, with it they won't replace it right, right that that's what it comes down to uh but otherwise, yeah, that, you know, and, and I, I mean, yeah, I ran into that, too. All right. Uh, Pierre, John. We. Oui. OK. <laughs> uh, last year, I purchased an iPad for my wife and it has fully replaced her MacBook. Her usage is 100 percent covered by the iPad, email, games, etc. She has a black MacBook that only has one gig of RAM. So it is essentially not that useful going forward and not really worth upgrading. I'm thinking of getting rid of this machine as the only use of it is to sync the iPad when there's an update for my wife's computer. The only backup is time machine. I would like to decommission her black MacBook and sync her iPad with my Mac Pro. Is there a simple way to get her stuff from her MacBook to my Mac Pro, i.e. just copy her preferences, etc. to my main machine, which is backed up via time machine to the same time capsule. And I also back up my computer using super duper to an external hard drive. Uh, her computer is not backed up that way. Basically, what I want is to transfer her existing parameters as a user on my Mac Pro so that going forward basis, her iPad will be synced with my main computer. This has a couple of benefits. One, we're sharing the same iTunes account, so updates will be easier. And two, my Mac Pro has a more robust automated backup. Uh, this will simplify my unpaid job as the home sysadmin. I think my issue is uh, broad enough. How- yes, yes. Okay. So then he pitched us on including it in the show, which, of course, worked. So uh, the answer is yes. Let's move on. <laughs> well, the, the so, oh. yeah, uh, the, yes, there is. You can. That's right. So let's move on. No. Uh, migration assistant is your friend here. It, this is really this is like a perfect example of of one of those alternate uses of migration assistant. Most of the time, of course, we use it to mm-hmm. import a whole computer over. But you can just import a user account. Now, 
The, the simplest way is to import the user account into a new user account on the uh, Mac Pro. And, and that way, all of her settings kind of live in their own little world like they do on her computer. And your settings live in your own little world like they already do. And there the two shall meet. You, you talked about saying you're, you're sharing the same iTunes account. So updates will be easier. Uh, in this instance, if she's being set up as a separate user, it really won't because she'll have to download the updates for her account uh, separately from you downloading them for yours. Uh, so that's not entirely uh, true. And you really probably don't want to try and migrate her stuff into your user account, because I think that would cause far more trouble than it would save you in these iTunes updates. So, uh, so what do you think, John? I agree with you. And fortunately, I mean, this is a perfect, uh, I I agree with you. It's a perfect situation to do this because when you run migration assistant, one of the options in one of the first screens, it says, set migration method. And one option is from a time machine backup or other disc. So it grocks time machine. Now, the only question I have, and then one of the menus that comes up shortly thereafter, uh, you get a number of choices. So one of them is users. And if you click on that, of course, you're going to get all the user accounts on that machine. Now, my only head scratcher is that there's also a settings selection in the migration assistant. I'm not sure if... I'm not sure how uh, I can't see uh, how it's expanded here. I'm not sure if he wants to click that too, or just start with the user account uh, with the user choice and then see where that brings you. Yeah. I actually right, right. You may not want right. to do settings because that, yeah, that may wipe something out. So, or not. No, uh, let's assume maybe it'll do, maybe it's smart enough to bring over just the settings for that user. So that'd be my only hesitation uh, doing that. So maybe start off by just selecting the the single user, which is going to show up in the user's menu and migration assistant and uh, take it from there. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. No, I, I and think then, that's the answer. And then, you know, you have a choice. So of course you could do either firewire or network. And depending on the network speed, uh, if you have gigabit ethernet on both, then, then you want to use a, a, I would recommend a network connection. I wouldn't do it wireless or uh, <laughs> yeah, either firewire or, or network connection. You, you can do it wirelessly, but I, I think that'd be kind of slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on how much data you have to bring over. I mean, if there's, you probably got enough since there's an iTunes library involved in this, but uh, you know, if it's only a couple of gigs, it might not be that bad wireless. If you've got 20 gigs, then uh, probably plug it in in some way or another. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, We've got some good questions this week. Brian has, uh, Brian has one for us. And actually, I think Brian has a better answer than, than we came up with for him. Brian writes, I'm having an issue with a finder window. Well, sort of. Like many Mac users, I have an applications folder sitting to, uh, right on my dock for quick access. For some odd reason, after updating Microsoft Silverlight a few weeks back, I have noticed that when I pull up the application folder in Stacks view using the dock icon, many of the application icons have been replaced with the Silverlight icon. The odd part comes into play when you actually click on view in Finder at the bottom of the stack window. All the icons appear correctly. I have since deleted Silverlight to see if that would correct the problem, but no go. What can I do to get all my icons back in the stack view? It's driving me crazy. All right. Uh, 
so uh, I have uh, no sympathy. You shouldn't have installed silver. <laughs> Sometimes we have. No, to actually, Silverlight is 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 kind of slick. Actually, yeah. I, I, I've seen some websites that do some nice things with it. But I, and I think Netflix uses Silverlight uh, to stream to the Mac. Yeah, I think it's I think it's similar to Flash, except it doesn't it, suck as much. It does, it's not it right. It's not as unstable. <laughs> it's the benefit of crashing less. Uh, so, you know, the, it, I think we, well, I, like I said, I know we have a solution cause, uh, Brian emailed us back, but my first thought was let's make sure that these applications or, or documents are not associated with Silverlight in some way. I mean, it, they're applications, so they shouldn't have an open with menu, but if they're documents, that's what I would check. Um, but it, it you know, I feel like some cache needs to be re- rebuilt. John, what do you think about that? I concur, and I would. Uh, I'm going to identify specifically uh, where you may want to clean this up here. And uh, well, I, I think one of our, one of our suggestions. Uh, you and I both both thought about this, but Onyx right has an option. If you go to the cleaning menu, and then there's a user category, and there's a checkbox for dock icons. Yep, you may want to clean that out. Okay, yeah, I think that would do it. I, I, in fact, I'm almost certain that would do it. Uh, if that doesn't though, or if you want to do it the easier way, Brian wrote us back and he said, Oh, I just, uh, deleted the application icon from my doc just by dragging it out. Mm -hmm. And I dragged a new one back in and it, everything's good now. So yeah, presumably it was (laughs) some cache or something that got rebuilt. And my guess is it's exactly the same one that Onyx is going to go ahead and rebuild. So that's good. All right. Uh, Jurgen, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. Yes. As long as, uh, yeah, I, I actually have a uh, relative. Okay. It's yeah, a uh, German. Right. So okay. you got it. All right. So Jurgen writes, I have a Mac mini, a MacBook air and a Drobo FS. The mini is being used as a media center and as my main download station. The problem is how to get to the downloaded or recorded stuff from the mini to the Drobo. Of course, I can use screen sharing to connect to the mini from the MacBook. But, you know, usually I feel the need to copy stuff at around the exact same moment I use the mini to watch a movie. And yes, I could log in via terminal and use FTP to copy the files to the Drobo from the mini. But that's not very elegant. If I connect to the mini from the MacBook in the Finder, using uh, I see all the files. But when I start to copy the Drobo, the files are first transferred to the MacBook from the mini and then from the MacBook to the Drobo. Uh, so the Wi-Fi is limiting my speeds. Mm. In short, is there a way I can copy files from the mini to the Drobo directly via Ethernet, but initiate the copy process from the MacBook? And I will add to his question, but initiate the process from the uh, graphical interface and not from the command line, because as he points out, you could enable remote access and get uh, that way or remote uh, control and get to it from the command line. But as he points out, that's not... Uh, well, that's not as comfortable. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, and he's right that you don't want to, if, if he's, if he copies from, if he mounts them both in the finder, he's copying over the wireless to his MacBook pro and then back over the wireless, presumably to the, you know, it's kind of going in and out the same access point. Right. And then it's just coming from the, the uh, Mac mini and out to the Drobo. And that's not very efficient at all. So, there is an answer here. One answer, and uh, 
I, I haven't had an opportunity to test any of this because I haven't installed it yet, but I, I hear that Lion, the next version of Mac OS X Lion, will do something very interesting. And the idea is, you know how we have fast user switching on our Macs, John, where you can have multiple users logged in at the same time? And, you know, just one desktop is up at a time and you can switch back and forth and everybody lives in their own world, but you don't have to log out so you can leave all your apps open and all that other stuff. And that's pretty cool. Well, what apparently, and again, I don't, I haven't tested it, but uh, from what I read, Lion will allow you when you do a remote control session or a, a remote desktop, if you will, screen sharing, I guess is what Apple calls it. If you screen share to your current, uh, to a computer in, uh, with uh, Leopard or Snow Leopard 10.5 or 10.6, you will always get the frontmost screen. So doesn't matter how many other users are logged in. You will only see whatever would actually be on the uh, screen of that computer. However, Lion apparently allows you to connect to any of the desktops. So you could have one screen up for the user to see the one that's sitting in front of the computer. And then you could screen share in to another user account and actually have two things happening simultaneously and two people interacting simultaneously with the computer. That's pretty cool. And actually that would work for our friend Jurgen here, right, John? As far as I can tell. Yeah. So if only we had a way of doing that in leopard and there is, uh, what you have to do is you have to install a separate uh, server and it's just a simple program you run. It's nothing complex to configure that allows a session of type VNC. Do you know what VNC stands for, John? I don't off the top of my head, but it's essentially a, an open virtual network control. Nah, well, I'll dig around while you're uh, okay. <laughs> solving this. Okay. Uh, so you connect using you, you set up a VNC server. Now, Mac OS 10 has a built in VNC server, but you can't use it for this because we want to do something a little different. So if you set up a VNC server inside one user account and then switch out to another one, you can still connect to that VNC session sort of behind the wall there. And uh, and it works really well. I, I've done it a lot. In fact, I've done it with the computer that I'm sitting on here, because a lot of times my uh, my wife will be up here. She does our accounting and all that stuff for us. She'll be up here working and I'll need to remote in to prep something for the podcast or whatever, just get something rolling. And I don't want to interrupt her. So as long as I've left myself logged in, I have a little VNC server running and I can click on it and uh, connect and, and interact with the computer. And she has no idea that I'm doing it unless of course I, you know, slow the thing down to a crawl, but otherwise she's nothing wiser. She's just going along and everything's good to go. So, uh, there's a, a link with specific instructions, but uh, I, th I think the uh, VNC server, real VNC will work. Uh, I think that's the, uh, that, that or OS 10 VNC. That's the one OS X VNC is the name of it. And, uh, and that one works fine. And, and I think many others would too. And, and then you can just connect from your, from your Mac and you're good to go. But virtual network computing. Okay. Dig this. Originally developed at the Olivetti Research Laboratory in Cambridge, United <laughs> Kingdom. Huh. Olivetti, huh? Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So I was close. Virtual network computing. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we've talked about 
interacting with your computer, having someone else interact with your computer in a fashion that you're knowing about. And, uh, and Michael has, uh, well, let's see what Michael has. Hey guys, it's Michael in Boston. I hooked up hardware growler to boxcar on my iPhone and it's been showing something rather unnerving. Every six hours or so, it tells me that a volume has mounted Google Chrome and then some numbers that are not an IP address update, then unmounted. Now, I'm sure our Skynet or Google overlords are benevolent and would never do any evil, but something is rather odd for this to happen, and frankly, I'd rather it let me decide when to update, if that's what it's doing. I've copied the console output at the time of one of these occurrences. Thanks for any ideas. Cut me off here. All right. So, uh, John, I'm going to throw this to you to answer, but I want to just explain something that he talked about in his question. So the way he knows that this is happening is he said he connected hardware growler to boxcar hardware growler links with uh, the growl framework, which is a notification framework and will notify you on screen. If, uh, if you, if, if any one of a variety of conditions happens and in his case, he's talking about having a drive mounted, could be having a device plugged in or really anything. Mm -hmm. And then he's got that linked with something we've, and we've talked about hardware growler before, uh, he's got that linked with something else we talked about called Boxcar, which is an app that you can put on your iPhone uh, and it receives push notifications from Growl. So by connecting hardware Growler to Growl and Boxcar to Growl, you can actually get those notifications not just on your screen, but direct to your phone in uh, in pretty much real time. I, I actually started using Boxcar for that after we talked about it and I get notified now if my um, super duper clone either works or doesn't work uh, as soon as it happens. So it's, it's been a good thing. So anyway, he's getting these notifications. He sees that it's this Google thing mounting John, what's going on. This is pure unadulterated evil from Google. <laughs> no, 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 they do know evil, but they toe the line. <clears throat> well, all I'm going to say is Doing software updates without permission of the user, in my opinion, is is not very, maybe not evil, but it's not right. very nice. Yeah, I like to be, I like to at least have the option of of choosing to turn on automatic updates. But I want to, I want to at least be, you know, complicit in this uh, in this scenario. Right. So what's happening here is Google installs on your behalf because they know best something called Google Software Update. Okay. One thing it does is every now and then, as uh, as we saw, as Michael saw, it'll go out. Well, he didn't see the initial contact. Now, this is where something, although uh, you know our opinions on it differ, but this is where I like something like Little Snitch. Right. Because what will happen is Little Snitch will come up and say, hey, you know, something called Google Update wants to go to the Google servers. What do you think about that? So one way to solve it would be to get a little snitch and say, no way, man. Right. And then it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even get out there. However, there's another way to do this. And, and I think this will solve it. Okay. So it may not, because from what I read, the Google software tends to be kind of persistent. And if you get rid of this, it may come back. But somebody launches that Google software update process. And the file that you want to look at is library launch agents com.google.keystone root.agent all right and that's the file responsible for launching the google software update right right 
So one strategy, though, though, again, based on the reading I did, it sounds like they, they may put that back there because they, you know, they're really, they're really looking out for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you could whack that file. And then I also found an article that suggests you can go into that file and change one of the parameters to basically say, never, never do this. And if you were to do that, then the other thing to do would be uh, to make that file read only so that uh, nothing else can change it. Right. Right. Yeah. So if at some point Google software looks at that and says, oh, that's not correct. Let me let me change that for you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, here, I think the uh, or no, it's, it's a terminal command. So you can say defaults space right okay. w-r-i-t-e space com dot google dot keystone dot agent space right. check interval space zero which i think to it is the right. yeah means means never check and then yeah as you pointed out or the article suggests that you, you may want to change the permissions on it so they, they can't sneak behind your back yet again <laughs> right right yeah well that's the that's so that's the what's trick. happening it, it's unusual though because although you'll see the disk mount with hardware growler, you will not see it. Or at least when I've watched this happen, you will not see it happen on the desktop. Huh? So it's doing some interesting way of mounting the, uh, or maybe it's a network volume that it's mounting. So it it doesn't show up, but, uh, but yeah, hardware growler definitely shows it. And again, in addition, in addition, a little, little snitch will, will tell you about any nefarious attempts to uh, phone home. That's right. Yes. More things to interrupt our stream of consciousness. Uh, all right. So, you know, as it has been proven here, John, we cannot talk about SSDs just once. It's like it's like eating Doritos, right? You, you can't just have one. And and and, and of course, we can. Um, have you had more than one, though? Or have you are you like Jerry Seinfeld and you've only ever eaten one Dorito? No, I've eaten more than one. Oh, see, that'll do it. Um, so. We bring back the SSD discussion because we did talk about it in the last premium show. We have just a couple of uh, of little tidbits to to share, and I, well, one, two tidbits and and one question. We'll start with uh, with Angel here because this is uh, this is very interesting. Angel says, uh, "I just upgraded to an eighty gig Intel SSD, and I also have a two terabyte Western uh, Digital Green." caviar or green hard drive. I wanted the user library folder to be on the SSD, but I wanted every other user folder on the hard drive. So that is, if you look in your user folder, there are documents and desktop and all that stuff. And one of those folders is library. Uh, Angel wanted the library folder to be on the SSD, but all the rest to be on the hard drive. Uh, I had uh, Angel writes, I would already created a, data two terabyte drive by plugging it in via USB and copying the full user folder from the original one terabyte drive into the empty new two terabyte drive. I enabled the root account and logged in as root to copy the contents. Easiest way to prepare the SSD was using carbon copy, carbon copy cloner uh, to bring everything back. I rebooted into the SSD. And and so angels tells us how he, uh, he solved this problem, rebooted into the SSD and the system created the rest of the user folders. I logged in as root and deleted the user folders that it created under my account and proceeded to then make symbolic links to the user folders on the hard drive. And, uh, and then he sent a picture which shows all these little sim links pointing to, uh, all these folders on the hard drive. So he boots from the SSD, his user account, uh, is located on the SSD. 
It just got rid of all the other folders and pointed with symlinks. Now, symlinks are a lot like aliases, but they're not aliases. So the, the concept <laughs> here is just creating pointers to stuff elsewhere. And symlinks work. They're a little funky to make, except uh, something that we talked about in, in one of the last shows, forklift is a little utility. Yes, I, I've installed this and I love it. It's great for finder copies. And that's why we uh, that's why we stumbled onto it, because it tells you the speeds and all that stuff. But uh, but it also has a menu option to create sim links so you can navigate somewhere, create a sim link, and it totally walks you through the process. You don't have to go to the terminal. It's really smooth. So uh, and, and sim links. There was some. Re- Do you know why in OS 10 uh, sim links are not aliases, John? Do you remember? I, I know I've I've heard a good reason about it, but I'm curious, but I forget what it was. No. no. Okay. So, so there's some, there was some reason when they were originally building OS 10 that aliases would not be good uh, to, to be used as sim links. It was something about the Mac OS 10 file structure or something like that. So Apple essentially created their own construct. That's only understood by, by sort of the top level of the operating system, but anything in Unix looks at these alias files and says, uh, I don't know what that is. Whereas a sim link actually lets you create a pointer again, very similar to an alias. It just works at all levels. And that's what you need when you're doing, when you're moving around user folders and things like that, you, you definitely need it accessible from all levels. So the sim link or symbolic link, uh, which is what that's short for is the way to do it. So very, very cool. Angel. That's uh, that's one way to, to, to really granularize what content appears where uh, Ted Landau uh, John, who of course founded Mac Fix It, and he joined us on our 300th sh- or our, was it our 300th show? No, it was our 256th show or whatever that was. Right? We did something. He joined us on one of our special shows, but he also writes for us at Mac Observer, and he just moved uh, to a similar setup in his Mac Pro, where he's got sort of a hybrid setup with an, an SSD and a hard drive. So not to be confused with a hybrid drive. But uh, but he detailed that whole process and we'll put a link out there. So definitely some ideas if you want to do the SSD on the cheap thing. And of course, that's the topic that started us down this path. So we have one question about that, John. Shall I play that or do you have something you want to add to this stuff that Angel and Ted are doing? Hit it. All right. Hey, guys, my name's Dave. Uh, catching up on an old episode, thir- uh, 321, I believe, where you guys are once again beating SSDs to death. Um, interested in all that stuff, but I don't want to invest the money and or do the OptiBay thing. Um, I got one of the, I think it's an 09 MacBook Pro. Um, I don't have the Express Card slot, but I was curious. Um, all the MacBooks now are coming with the SD card, uh, the card reader. Is it possible and or practical to do the... Uh, the hybrid SSD thing like uh, like you guys are talking about in the express card slot but with an SD card um, I know the, the speeds can vary a lot and whatnot but let's say if you got the fastest type of SD card out there a class 10 or whatever and got like a 16 or even a 32 gig um, SD card would it be possible to boot OS 10 off of the SD slot and then as far as speed comparing that versus a traditional SSD and all that stuff um, I was just curious what you guys thoughts were on that and then i know it would probably stick out a little bit because the sd doesn't go all the way flush so i didn't know if it is possible to do this are you guys aware of any sd cards that would actually recess all the way in so it's not sticking out of the side of your machine just in case
case it gets bumped or whatever. So, anyways, enjoy the show. Love the show. Keep up the good work. And this is where you cut me off. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so, what he's talking about is the SD slot, which is similar, well, the same as many of us have in many of our digital cameras that they've started now putting in the side of the uh, of the MacBook Pros, or at least were. So, uh, John, do you know about uh, whether he can boot the system from it? And if he did, would it be fast enough to make it worth his while to, to jump through all these hoops? Ugh. My initial initial reaction to this would be yuck. <laughs> Is that an official yuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know what? Actually, check this out. Our good friends at Apple, yet again, you know, there's just a wealth of information out there. So their support article, HT3553, about the SD and SDXC card slot. And they tell you everything you ever wanted to know, including, can I install Mac OS X on an SD storage device and use it as a startup volume? And the answer is yes. Okay, well, that's good. Just make sure that you format it as good as any startup disk. Correct. uh, Right. Sure. Now, to me, the bad news, um, I have one of these, for example, the uh, iFi card that I have. And then this kind of get it, as you point out, they're great for cameras. And I think they're appropriate for cameras. But you're talking a lot of difference here in the performance of the card. So, for example, the one that I have, uh, the iFi is a class 10. And it seems that there are two ways to measure the speed, just, just to add to the confusion here. Okay. So one is... Well, here's here's the first thing. So one is that the SD card, depending on what type of bus it's on, that may limit your throughput. And depending on the the Mac that you have, it's either going to be on a USB bus, which, of course, is 480 megabits per second, or it's on a PCIe bus. Okay. so that limits the speed of it. If if it's on a USB bus, then, as I mentioned, that that's going to be that could be your bottleneck. 480 megabits per second is about you know, 48 megabytes per second, give or take right. a little bit. If it's on a PCIe bus, then that's not going to be your bottleneck because that you're talking, uh, you know, gigabytes per second, at least. Right. You know, anywhere from four up, four, eight or 16, depending on the version of uh, PCIe. But it's the speed of the card itself. So looking at the ways that they rate the speed. So one is a class designation. And from what I could see here, the class indicates the throughput. So if you're talking a class 10, card it's 10 megabytes per second which for a camera is is probably not that bad okay Uh, yeah okay right right sure i mean if you're taking you know a picture that's uh and yeah if you're taking a a picture then yeah maybe it'll you know take a second or less right you know depending on if you have a certain uh number megapixels of course the megapixels you typically divide by three to get the size of the file right so oh is that right is that i I never uh I never, I never spent the time. Well, I've noticed that, and I think because it's, uh, yeah, because oh, you're, it's you're, saving as a JPEG. Well, yeah, that, yes. So there's some compression occurring, right? But, um, but typically, I found at least the way my camera's set up is that the, uh, the size of the file. So I have a 10 megapixel, and and the, uh, yeah, the files, uh, I think, are usually about about three, uh, three megabytes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But anyways, so that's one measure. 
And of course, 10 megabytes is glacial when you're talking hard drive speeds. I mean, uh, even oh, a mechanical yeah. hard drive goes way, way beyond that. Right. And SSDs, uh, you know, 10 or 10 times that. Right. Plus uh, the other right. designation right. is an X rating. So 6X, 10X, and it's based on a, a, a I forget the baseline, but. Are you the saying these that SSD, seen, that the, the, the pictures on these things are X rated? What are you, t- what are you talking about, John? Uh, they certainly could be. Okay. But that's up, that's up to the, uh, that's the up artist. To the, user. the artist. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Go well, ahead. I consider a photographer an artist. Sure. Sorts. No, that's no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've had heated debates with some Twitter friends. I had one person that said, well, no, I don't consider a photographer an artist. And I'm like, I'm like, why not? Will you just push it a button? Yeah. Well, let me like, give well, two people a camera and, and one of them yeah. is, yeah. One of them is me. And one of them, somebody that actually knows what they're doing. And we'll decide if they, with, based on the results, if one of us is an artist or not. I, well, I, I, <laughs> I I I uh, countered him saying, "Well, then uh, a pianist, uh, a person that plays a piano, is not an artist either, right? I mean, they're just pressing buttons." That's true. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> absolutely right. Yep. Uh-huh. Or drummers, not an artist. I mean, they're just banging on a on a on a membrane, right? That's right. Yeah. Where, where is this line going to be drawn? That's right. Yeah. But anyways, so if you look at the X rating, the highest one I could find here is a uh, six hundred X rating, and that's about. 720 megabits per second or again about you know 72 mega so you're talking tens of megabytes uh throughput and all the ssds that i've seen are giving you you know one two 200 megabytes per second or more so so that's one factor so it's certainly not going to give you the ssd performance experience and then i i couldn't get a lot of information on the latency but i suspect that this class of memory also doesn't have a uh you know, has a larger latency than you're going to see on uh, an either mechanical or an SSD. Okay. And, and so the answer to, is yes, you can yeah. do it, but the, the sizing, I don't know about the sizing. I, I think it really has to, well, I, I haven't used one of the ones. I don't know if the Apple one is spring loaded, but, um, where yeah. you, where you push on it to, to get it out. So I don't know if, if they're, uh, I mean, I, I think they're pretty much a standard size. So they I could, are, I could be but, wrong. but I've seen, I've seen uh, some SSD cards that, you know, have been shaved down. I mean, it all depends on how the memory's laid out internally. Uh, and if there's yeah, extra room could, at the end, you, yeah, you might, get some sandpaper yeah, or snip it off with some, you know, tin snips or something, but yeah, yeah. you want to x-ray it first to make sure you're, uh, well, that's the trick. Yeah. That, that would be the only way to know is to x-ray it. Or if you could open it up, if you can pop the plastic casing off of it, that might, you know, but Good luck, right? Because you're going to now monkey with this thing and then put it back together and shove it inside your computer and hope that you can get it out if you need to. So be careful. Yeah, we did that when 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 I had access to an x-ray machine. We actually were x-raying memory cards just for fun, just to see what was inside of them. Ah, ah, interesting. All right. So uh, George has a question that's going to kind of lead us down a path here. And we'll talk about the path after we... uh, After we finish with George, George writes uh, with regards to the recent discussion about fonts and setting them. I use Tinker tool to set fonts. I presume uh, never presume anything about us, George. We, uh, we, we, we act like we know a lot, but, uh, but really we, we rely on, uh, no, we do know a lot, but, but we do rely on you folks to tell us things. So feel free to tell us things. And if we already knew it, no harm done. If we didn't know it, Well, then there is harm done if you didn't send it. So, you know, we can share all this knowledge. So anyway, George says, I presume, you know, there are lots of options in Tinker tools to set font selection and for many, many different parts of OS 10. 
I've not been able to make sense out of what options affect what parts of the OS. Camino, a browser that I use, seems to read the font settings as set in Tinkertool. So do some programs, but not all. I wish I knew more, but there are so many options. It is darned easy to get confused as to which option does what. Maybe you could fill us in. So uh, do you, you are you a Tinkertool user, John? Um, not often. Okay, so I, I think what I'm looking at here is oh gosh, um, oh look at that! I wrote a uh, Monday's Mac gadget about it. Uh, that's in... that's what made me think you were you were Mr. Yeah, Tinkertool. well, that that was in 2001. So oh, uh, really, it was that long. <laughs> Holy cow! I've been wow. writing that. I've been doing that column for a long time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, I'm looking. Yeah, back then it was version uh, version two uh, freeware. Okay. Huh. But yeah, did, and even back then it had a uh, fonts tab, which I did not take a, oh gosh, and look at the screenshot from Mac OS 10. I think it's 10.1. <laughs> wow. No, so, I can tell. I see uh, the, the UI looked uh, a, a little bit different back, uh, back in back Mac then. OS I, I think in a general sense on this, um, that these font categories will impact Cocoa apps, but I don't think they Im- impact Carbon apps. Uh, and, and I think that's where the delineation is. I, I, I don't know this for certain, John, but but it's certainly uh, I, I, I believe that's how I've seen it in the past. I, I don't have what magic do have answer, here, but, but George. Yeah, passed, they have font categories. I see. Right. Right. So, th- you know, that that is one place to tinker there in terms of, uh, you know, setting your browser font, because, we you know, we talked about that with Safari and and the uh, the extension to to alter the default browser font and other ways of doing it. So, so this is yet another, uh, Tinker tools. Cool. It's, it's good to, uh, to muck around with it. Although as George, uh, astutely and indirectly points out, there are settings in here that you can flip and not really know what they're going to do. And then maybe you find yourself somewhere and it's like, Hey, that doesn't work. Uh, or, Hey, that works better than I thought. So, uh, so, you know, that, that Tinker tool is, is one of those good reminders. It's almost like a, uh, a cool stuff found kind of thing. And George also mentioned forklift in his email, which of course we mentioned last week. And it, uh, it got us to thinking that, you know, these, these cool stuff found shows that we do twice. Well, we do them like once every twice, every three months, I think is kind of how it works out. That's great and all, but it a causes you folks to wait to hear about all this cool stuff. It causes us to wait, frankly. And, uh, and, and then things kind of get lost sometimes because the list gets too long. So, uh, we're going to go with a hybrid approach here and, and see how this goes, where we put a couple of cool things found in most shows. It won't necessarily be there, but we won't prohibit ourselves from including them. And then, uh, if the list does get long, then we'll queue it up and, and we'll do a long cool stuff found show. So, uh, so with that, I wanted to talk about a couple of things, John, that uh, that our excellent listeners have sent in. Wesson writes, I would recommend an app named Backup Loop, L-O-U-P-E, like Jewelers Loop, available from Soma-Zone.com as an alternative to Time Tracker. Both of these apps show you uh, the contents of your time machine backup. And we did just talk about Time Tracker on a recent show. I, did you download Backup Loop, John? Have you messed with this yet? It's very nice. Dude, it's awesome. What it's- I liked about it is the, uh, the so uh, time tracker is basic. And he even says, you know, this is and free. Bare, it's free, but it's bare bones. It's it's right. Visually, it's very basic. And 
Yeah, but but time loop uh, backup it, loop. It, it, I'm sorry, backup loop tells you a lot more. And it, it's got it. It organizes the data. It scours through your your backup. It says it indexes it right, and mm-hmm. uh, and and then creates a view a lot like what you see in Omni Disk Sweeper, which that shows was my you, thought. Yeah, yeah, it shows you all your folders, but sorted by the most space taken up, and you can dig down really quickly and see. Oh, I didn't realize that was getting backed up or, oh, that's what that is. You know, that sort of thing. And you can also set it uh, to index your your backups in the background and then alert you via email if you have uh, a backup that's either, you know, much larger than a certain parameter or much smaller than a certain parameter. You can set those parameters. So that's actually pretty cool. So that's uh, that's backup loop. It's five bucks, which is the right price for something like this. I think that's perfect, actually you know perfect some work went into it but it you know shouldn't set you back a week's pay <laughs> what that's not that's not uh that's not it all right i don't uh, think any software should set you back a week's pay that's right uh okay well, maybe maybe office or no yeah office i think is is somewhat reasonably priced right depending on what you need to do yeah i guess well, not when you compare it to pages and and numbers and all that stuff though true Yeah, it's a little overpriced. Uh, Okay, Paul writes, not sure if you've come across this little app in the Mac App Store for easy swapping of all sorts of files between your Mac and all your iOS devices. It's called Mover or Mover Connect, and it's pretty cool. Uh, And so this is cool. So it's $199 for your iOS devices, and it's free for the Mac. And it it allows you to move files back and forth between them, but it's cool. It's the, the interface is like, you have a desktop and you're just throwing files back and forth to one device from the other. It's a, it's a cool little thing. It's uh, and it, and it does what it says. So thanks Paul. So have you used it, John? I, I I've tinkered with it, but it's not, uh, it's not, not part of, not yet, not part of my arsenal. There is something though. That's part of my arsenal just started uh, yesterday. So I, uh, you know, I jailbreak my iPhone arsenal. Yeah. Well, us jailbreakers, we have to use tough terms like that. Uh, (laughs) Once you break out of jail. Yeah, that's right. You're tough enough to break out of jail. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to mention one thing because it's it's so near and dear to my heart. So you folks know how much I love text expander and how I can't live without it. And what you may have inferred is that the program in which I use it most is mail because, you know, I write a lot of email and it's great to have little bits and pieces. Well, I've always said I would love to have text expander on my iPhone and I can, of course, they have their iPhone version, but it only works in the apps that are built to support it. And of course, none of the system apps work that way. And that's because of the way Apple has set up their rules that you can't talk outside your sandbox. Uh, But that also means that text expander doesn't work in Apple's mail app. And that stinks. So for a dollar ninety nine in the city store, which is the jailbroken app store, is an app called Xpand R which does exactly the same thing. It doesn't read your text expander library, uh, but uh, but you can put your own stuff in and then it just works system wide and it's awesome. So that's uh, that's my cool stuff found addition for the week, John. Karsten has one. Do you have anything to add before we uh, before we wrap this up? Nope. All right. Karsten, uh, he's it's really weird because two people in kind of separate parts of my world recommended the same app, Karsten and, and then uh, my friend Shannon, but uh, 
he says, I use a technology shopping plugin for Firefox. Uh, and I believe it's also for Safari and for Internet Explorer, if you're on that side of the fence, uh, called Invisible Hand at getinvisiblehand.com. The plugin helps you find the best price on technology items. And here's how it works. You download, install the plugin, and then you restart your browser. Now go to Amazon.com, for example, and search for one terabyte Western digital hard drive and click on the search result. Once you're at the Amazon page, which describes the product and shows the price, the plugin will automatically start a search behind the scenes and drop down a little bar uh, and it'll show all the sites who offer the item that you search for for cheaper uh, or it will tell you that you have the best price. So in his case, he was getting a two terabyte drive for his Drobo FS. He was looking on Amazon, 129 bucks. Invisible Hand immediately showed him Circuit City online uh, store had it for 89 and boom, he was good to go. I'm, I, the plugin is free. They, of course, make money from affiliate sales, which is fine. Hey, if they're doing a service and sending me somewhere, I'm happy to let them get a take of it or get a taste of it or a piece of it or whatever you want to say. Um, so cool. That's uh, invisible hand. Good for all you online shoppers, which is, well, I guess probably all of us safe to assume. Right. Anything else to add there, John? I like red laser. <clears throat> oh, red laser is cool. There you go. Well, especially out shopping. Um, now, of course I'm the iPhone type of guy, but yeah, it, um, uh, it scans the barcode, and then for, for a lot of items, it'll tell you how much uh, surrounding stores or online stores <laughs> charge for it. Yep. I'm surprised store owners don't uh, kick you out of the store when they <laughs> see that uh, I, that sort of thing going I on. Do, I do that with my Amazon. Uh, the Amazon app uh, has a barcode scanner in it. And so I, uh, you know, of course, I'm logged into my Amazon account with it. So I can scan a barcode. It tells me the price on Amazon and then I can add it to my shopping cart and even buy it like literally as I'm standing there. Uh, but but at the very least, I can add it to a wish list. And, and I actually have uh, done that a couple times where it's like, oh, yeah, no, nope, I'm not going to buy. Oh, it nice. Yeah. Or the, the Bing app does that also. Oh, very cool. I don't know if you've tried the Bing app on, uh, on the iPhone. Uh, no, I haven't, but they just came out with one for uh, for the iPad today. So we ran an article on that at TMO. I haven't, I haven't oh. downloaded it yet, but there it is. And there's the band. Cool. I like that little, you know, five-minute segment of cool stuff found. That, 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 it, it, maybe ten. I don't know how long it was, but, you know, that nice little brief thing. It, it felt good, John. It's nice. Don't you think? I feel good. Good. Like James Brown. Uh, <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> Ah, that's John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen. He'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess we decided that uh, despite the fact that all of our listeners to this episode are premium listeners, we should, in fact, provide contact information. So you can email us to premium at MacGeekGab.com. That includes questions, tips, uh, cool stuff found, whatever you like. Uh, send it along. Did you say premium at MacGeekab.com, Dave? Were you asleep when I did? I, I may have temporarily taken a little nap there. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. 
Show notes are at MacGeekGab.com. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab and uh, keep those iTunes comments coming, please. We really appreciate them. And, uh, and of course, I know we said it at the beginning, but uh, we really appreciate you uh, supporting us and subscribing to the premium show. We love doing these and glad to, uh, glad to have you supporting us and uh, glad to have you getting value out of it. That's, that, that's the whole point. Of course, thanks to Michael Johnston for converting this to AAC. Happy birthday again, Michael. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. That's it. We'll see you on, uh, yeah, we're here Monday, right? This Monday, yeah. Yeah, Monday, show 325. I think a following Monday, something's going on. Oh, that's right. I'm back down in D.C. My my aunt aunt passed away in in December. That's it, thanks. Um, but she actually earned full burial honors at, uh, at Arlington. And we had no idea of this. I mean, she was in the service. So we get to uh, that day we will be attending her funeral. So it's going to be kind of a cool thing. Have a good weekend, folks. Don't get caught. <laughs>